Hello and welcome to Twin Talk. This is Angie. And this is Joy. And today we're going to be discussing the book Little House on the Prairie. So Joy, as you can hear in the background playing the Little House on the Prairie theme, I'm just curious when you hear that, was there anything, anything, any memories come to mind or any, what emotions come up when you well, hear that? Well, every time I hear that song, it makes me want to cry and I don't know why. It just almost brings tears to my eyes when I hear that song. That's funny because I did the same thing today. I was listening to it on my phone. Yeah, I was going to play it for the broadcast and immediately my I started welling up with tears, and I was thinking, why am I doing this? I don't know. Why does that make us want to cry? I think it's just because it's so nostalgic, Mm -hmm. and it just reminds us of our childhood, and of course, of her and her family and all the stories. Yeah, you know, when we were young, you know, it seems like every year mom would get us one of the books of the series in the little house and right. I don't know if you remember that but yeah so that's what some of our favorite memories are mine anyway uh, because we lived in a two-story house and the upstairs the house wasn't quite finished when we moved in when we were little and the upstairs did not have central heating or air and so in the winter it got really cold and I remember our parents would have us sleep in our living room and it had a little propane stove and we each had our own little sleeping bag and I just remember reading these little house on the prairie books at night in our little sleeping bags by that propane stove and that's what some of my favorite memories are of us camping out down there reading our little house on the prairie books oh i remember the smell when you get too close to the stove and in your nightgown it would singe it yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway i would love to expand and talk about all the books in the little house series because they're all really good and i would like to talk about the tv show and i would if there was time i'd even like to talk about the author but unfortunately there just isn't enough time it would just be impossible mm -hmm. to cover all of it i will mention however that the tv series Little House on the Prairie ran for nine seasons and had over 200 episodes. Wow. So wildly popular. Um, the first episode aired September 11th, 1974. Ooh. So we would have okay. been four years old when, that, when okay. that first started. And of course, most people know that it starred Michael Landon and Elizabeth Gilbert. And I'm pretty safe bet to say that you and I both love Michael Landon. <laughs> yes, I love Michael Landon. Yeah, he's great. So he was, and he, he was, didn't he direct that? I think he did direct a lot of the episodes, yeah. I watch some of those shows even now, the reruns, and I'm just, I'm still impressed with how good those shows are. Yeah, I haven't seen them in a long, long Mm -hmm. time, but yeah. So it's interesting because the book that I chose, I got to pick the the book, it was my turn to pick, and I chose, you know, Little House on the Prairie. And I think the reason I chose that was because we just happened to come across that it was playing on TV one night. And anyway, just for kicks, I watched the pilot episode of Little House on the Prairie, and it was very true to the book, just for just for kicks. I just thought I'd mention that. But um, but as far as the rest of the series, it did, wasn't, didn't yeah, really Yeah, they definitely portray. veered off of <laughs> a lot of the stories in those later seasons, definitely mm-hmm. were, were fiction. Oh, sure. I mean, they had to keep it entertaining, if you know. Yeah. They had to bring in all those wild Nelly and really stories. So. <laughs> and Nellie really was based on a real person. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think they said she was a combination of two girls. Yeah. Laura knew, and something sure. I, during the research for this book, they were talking about how Laura was always very mindful of how she portrayed people. Mm-hmm. And she said that she didn't portray Nellie near as bad as she was in the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean she's saying that the actual person was worse than the character yes, in the in, books? in the books. Yeah. Of course, wow. in the series, they made her look like the devil. But, oh, of course. You know, yeah. So Anyway, so uh, just for those who aren't familiar with the the books i'm just going to give a little summary here the little house books 
were written by Laura Ingalls Wilder and were based on her childhood and adolescence in the American Midwest, spanning Wisconsin, Kansas, Minnesota, South Dakota, and Missouri between 1870 and 1894. The first draft of a ninth novel was published posthumously in 1971 and is commonly included in the series and it is called The First Four Years. Did you ever read The First yes, Four Years? Yes, I read it. So that mm-hmm. would have been the first four years of her life with Almanza, with Almanza when they yeah. got married. Okay. Okay, a tenth book, which was a nonfiction book called On the Way Home, is Laura's diary of the years after 1894 when she and her husband and infant daughter moved from DeSmet, South Dakota to Mansfield, Missouri where they settled permanently, and I didn't had never heard of that book. I think I've read it. Now that you oh. say that, I think I did. So it was it's, her actual diary. It's just actual diary entries. Yes, I have read it, but now that I'm talking about it, I don't know where I got the book or if I still have the book. Okay. I think our mom may have it. Okay, so it was published in 1962. Now, I'm, I'm very interested. I, w- I would like to read that one. Um, then in the 1950s, uh, they decided to do a paperback edition of the series, and uh, it was published with the illustrations of Garth Williams. And these are the books that you and I own today. Yes. The ones mm-hmm. with those illustrations. So let's talk a minute about those illustrations. Um, to me, the books would not be the books they are without those illustrations. Right. Uh, yeah, they, he really captured um, the characters in the book and, of course, the settings. And, yeah, those are some of my favorite illustrations are all the ones in the Little House books. Mm-hmm. Didn't he also do Charlotte's Web? You know, they said he was very famous for doing other children's books, and but they said mm-hmm. these books uh, that no one really remembers him for anything except these books except because these they books. eclipsed all the others. But you may be right because they the other books he did were very famous. I'm I, not I sure. Don't remember what they he were. He illustrated Charlotte's Web, but I'd have to go look hmm. just to double check. Okay, and the series. Uh, was written for a progressively older readership of approximately 8 to 14 years old. However, you and I both know, like, you know, to me, they're just as enjoyable reading yeah, as an adult. Yeah, they're timeless. I don't think it matters mm-hmm. what age you are. I think most people would enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And as far as Laura, I'm just going to talk about her for just a minute. I, I didn't feel like I could adequately describe the impact that she had in our culture, but I did find an article that was written by a longtime Mansfield, Missouri resident, and the reason that's important is because that's where she lived the remaining years of her lives was in Mansfield, Missouri. So, this And we've actually been there and yeah. we toured her. We toured her home and got to see uh, and Almanzo had built the house and mm-hmm. he even uh, the kitchen was even tailored for Laura because she was so short. He made sure the drawers and everything were on her level. Well, that's funny because after my level. research I found out that he was probably only 5'4". Oh, wow. Yeah, so, okay. they, so were, they were both apparently short. Apparently, they were both small people. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, this this I did find this article written by a lady by the name of Debbie Von Barron. And I thought she pretty well summed up um, the uh, just the prominence that Laura Ingalls Wilde had on our society. Okay. So, uh, forgive me. This, is a, this might seem a little lengthy, but it's very good. As I look out the back window of my home in the small town of Mansfield, Missouri, I can see the grave of one of the world's most famous and beloved authors. However, even though Laura Ingalls Wilder has been dead for 25 years, it is not an exaggeration to say she still lives on. How many of us Mansfield kids can remember being given one of the Little House books for a birthday or Christmas, reading the dust cover, and being impressed that the lady who wrote the book had lived in the same town that we live in? 
How many of us remember going on a field trip with our class from school and walking through the house that she lived in? Yet back then we didn't truly realize the importance of what Laura had done, what an impact she had on the world of literature. We also didn't know that in the 70s, Laura Ingalls Wilder would be a name known to virtually every child and adult in America. Although Laura's medium was the printed word, the medium that made her name a household word was television. In 1973, Mansfield residents were delighted to find that Laura's books were going to be the basis for a television series. With already established actor Michael Landon heading the project and a young girl named Melissa Gilbert portraying Laura, the show was an instant hit and has turned into one of television's longest-running, most successful series. However, most people... Uh, most people that know anything about Laura's life realize that most of what has been on Little House on the Prairie is total fiction. Fiction. The series has not remained true to Laura's books, but even so, there have been good side effects. Everyone, and I don't think everyone is too much of an overstatement, now knows who Laura Ingalls Wilder was. Her books have become more popular than ever before. They are a staple on bookstore shelves, and virtually every school child in America has been exposed in one way or another to one of her books. Laura's books were written for children, but you don't have to be a child to enjoy them. Practically every winter, down they come from my shelf. As I read them from cover to cover, I marvel at the simple storytelling skill Laura had, the ability to allow the reader to experience the sights, sounds, smells, and tastes of what she describes. And now when I try to write myself, I think about how hard and frustrating it is to get the words to convey what I want them to say, and how easy Laura's writings make it seem. Hers was a rare talent and, and combined with the special time she grew up in, a magic combination exists forever in the pages of her books. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I, she pretty much summed up what I wish I could have said. Um, and one thing she hit on, Joy, was she was talking about um, what uh, her simple style of mm-hmm. writing. And um, I thought we could just talk for a minute about Laura's style, how she wrote. Mm-hmm. It, can You, you want to touch on that just very simplistic and she like like that author just said she had a way of making you feel like you were there i mean i remember like i think of just the one part of the book we just read where she talks about how paul made the door to their log cabin Mm -hmm. and she went into such detail and explained it so well i was like oh maybe i could build a door if i had to one day i mean Mm -hmm. she was very descriptive and just uh, did a good job of making you feel like you were there and helping you understand how things were done back then Mm -hmm. one thing i wrote when i was thinking about her writing style she is a just a natural born storyteller yes Mm -hmm. some people have this talent and some people don't but she has these simplest prose, but they form the most vivid pictures. Yeah. And I really admire writers that can say so much in so few words. Right. Yeah. But she makes writing look easy. Um, the books are so good and so well written, you don't really notice how good and well written they are. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's a good a sign of a good writer. Mm-hmm. There's nothing getting in the way of the story. There's mm-hmm. no... The way, you know, if grammar or syntax or whatever, mm-hmm. I don't want to get too technical here, but... Uh, if if you're reading and you keep having to go back and reread, or it's too confusing, mm-hmm. or too maybe the sentences are too complex, if that gets in the way of the reading, then that's not good. And sh- like you said, a good writer writes in a way that you forget. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just She's, you're she, so into the story. It's like you're never. She never gives you all unne- unnecessary facts. She just sticks to the point mm-hmm. and keeps it simple. And, um, you know, another thing that got to me was, you know, she's talking about some pretty heavy stuff in these books, mm-hmm. even though these are kids' books right. with a lot of adult themes, if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. 
she was talking about pioneer life and the hardships that come with it but because she did it from the point of view of a child it was almost like everything looks really rosy mm-hmm. you know did you get that impression yeah it's like she can tell these really horrific terrifying yes. stories <laughs> but because she's telling it through the eyes of a child i mean they're still scary and they're still hard you know but they're uh, i don't know what i'm trying well, to say here it's funny because as a kid when i read these you know, I was just like, oh, that's a neat story. But as an adult, I'm horrified. Yes. <laughs> yeah, as a kid, you're like, oh, how exciting. You know, oh, the Indians are oh, having a big uh, war cry. They're and, pulling Mr. Scott up the well. He just passed out from the gas yeah. when they were digging the well. Oh, that's exciting. And now you're like, oh, my goodness, he could have died. And when yeah. I reread the story about how they all had, they didn't know what they had, but now we know it was malaria. Mm-hmm. And they literally were all on their deathbed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the way she described it in the book. Was that yeah. in Little House on the Prairie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and the reason I asked, uh, Angie... It's called Fever and All. Yes. Angie had sent me a um, free audio book to listen to this instead of just reading it again. That. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it kept messing up on me. And oh. each time it would go off, I'd have to search again where I was. And I'm, I think I must have missed that chapter. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I wanted to mention that there is a free audio book mm-hmm. available. And you can find it at... I don't know how to pronounce this, tokybook.com. It's T-O-K-Y-B-O-O-K.com. Okay, well, it kept me, and I, I liked it because it was free, mm. but like I said, every oh, time so I kept, up for me, so I I kept having to search for where I was because oh. it only let you go chapter by chapter, and I guess I missed that one. Were they sick, or was it their neighbors were sick? They all ended up getting sick. And, okay, um, I totally missed I mean, I've read that before, and I vaguely mm-hmm. remember it, but this last time around, I missed it. Well, they so proceeding... Right before they all got sick, they kept talking about how the mosquitoes were just in swarms and they were so thick you couldn't go out at night. Mm-hmm. And Paul kept building fires around the house to keep them at bay, and, and they were getting just eaten up by mosquitoes. And that they, they, you know, they had all these theories as to what happened. Like they, they thought they had eaten bad watermelon right. or something, whatever. But come to find out, they, they believe now that it was malaria. Okay, so this was a. This next question was, I know this was a hard task, but I asked you to pick a favorite story. Were you able to find just yeah, you, one? Yeah, she asked or? the hardest questions. Um, yeah, there's no way to pick a favorite story here. Mm-hmm. I like them all. I truly, truly love every story she tells. I just like the Camp on the High Prairie chapter because mm-hmm. I just love the idea of them out in the open. They're on their way. They're, it's an adventure. They don't know what lies ahead. And it really goes into detail how they washed clothes, how they cooked, how they slept, how they took care of the animals and I don't know I just really like that description of them out on the prairie just Mm -hmm. traveling to into the unknown yeah and and one of my favorite descriptions is when they're watching the the their wagon tracks disappear Mm -hmm. behind them and but they said that they as far as they could see in any direction all you can see is prairie yeah that just blows my mind Mm -hmm. that no matter how far they looked any direction land land Mm -hmm. land like there's no one had settled this land yet Except, of course, for the Indians who moved mm-hmm. from place to place. I, you know, it's funny because just recently we drove to Kansas for a baseball tournament, and and it was all you know, it was for miles and miles, all you could see was flat land. And I thought we're in a car, and mm-hmm. we're seeing this for several hours. And I thought, can you imagine being in a wagon? That's what <laughs> we went to a funeral a while back, and went to Iowa, and mm-hmm. same thing. Fields and fields and fields, huge fields, and every once in a while a farmhouse. And it kind of just, it's kind of amazing that mm-hmm. after all these years mm-hmm. since Laura Ingalls Wilder, you know, so much land is still, still uninhabited. So much land mm-hmm. 
that even though people own it, there's mm-hmm. there are no houses on right. it. Right. Like, you know, uninhabited. one farmer might have mm-hmm. a thousand acres. It just kind of blows my mind mm-hmm. that there aren't, it's not more ha- inhabited, yeah. No, I agree. So, okay, did you want to mention any other story? Or no, just that there's just too many. I like them all. Okay, <laughs> so the, the story I chose was the wolf pack story mm-hmm. um so paul goes out hunting one day or i don't know if he's returning from town or hunting i can't remember but he, all of a sudden just out of out of uh, coming down a hill there's a big, huge wolf pack and he he swears there were around 50 of these wolves and he says they were the biggest wolves he had ever seen and his horse is absolutely terrified and his horse is, is wanting to run but he knows oh, if i let this horse run they're probably going to chase us down and just bring us down. He, so he had to keep the horse calm. So he was just pulling at the reins with all his might. while these. And he said the whole time the wolves just trotted alongside him like they were dogs mm-hmm. and just playing with each other. And I thought, how many people? Now, I don't know the basis for that story, how true that was. I know a lot of her stories were based on fact. Mm-hmm. So, But if that really did happen, I would just, can you I imagine? I thought they were all based on fact. Uh, well, I do know that she did embellish some of them. Oh. And they, they did say she did take a few liberties to make it entertaining to help her story. Oh, I so, don't know that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, I mean, I think for the most part they are based in fact. But, I mean, can you just imagine being surrounded by all these no. wolves and having to keep calm? And I think you mentioned earlier there's always a difference between reading books as a child and as an adult. Mm-hmm. I did not realize how many times he avoided dying a death, basically. Yeah. There, okay, the wolf pack... When he goes down the well to help his neighbor, Scott, who had passed out, he could have died from those fumes. How uh, many times he would encounter a bear? Yeah, Some of that was in the previous book. But, oh, there are know. story after story. Uh, when he got, this is on the banks of Plum Creek, I think, when he got trapped, he had to dig into a snowbank because uh, a blizzard came up and he couldn't mm-hmm. find his way home. But there's just story after story of where he almost died. I mean, I just feel like he had God's hand upon him, mm-hmm. uh, keeping him safe. Uh, Laura said, please put Jack, their little bulldog, please put him in the wagon. And Ma said, he can swim, Laura. And Pa said, he'll be fine. And they get out in the middle of the creek, and their water rose much more quickly than they had imagined it would. And anyway, they make it safe to the other side, but they look around, and their little bulldog Jack is nowhere to be seen. They run up and down the creek yelling for him, but the current's pretty swift, uh, so he must have got swept downstream. And long story short they finally just give up on looking for him he's nowhere to be found and i don't know if it was a few days later or a few weeks later but they're out on the prairie camping and they see a, a set of eyes like green eyes in the firelight and they're like what is that is it a wolf and it's jack oh, and they're no. all reunited with jack and it's so that has got to be that or mr edwards meet santa claus okay well um, <laughs> is that what you were going to talk I about actually yeah so the one i chose was mr edwards meets santa okay claus. that was my second choice for the most heartwarming story in this book and i if honestly if i had not forgotten about the story about them losing jack that probably with what i <laughs> would have said you know. i had just forgotten about yeah. it so so ma she's not crazy about mr edwards she thinks he doesn't really have any manners right. you know he's teaching laura how to spit things right. like that so the fact that he he comes through a really cold uh winter's I don't know if I guess it was snowing and cold and uh but for Christmas he wades across the creek he puts his clothes on his carries him above his head and wades across the creek freezing to death comes to their house all so he can bring Laura and Mary presents from Santa Claus and he had walked all the way to Independence Missouri to get them before all that yes yeah so it was a huge deal that he did that for these little girls yes it was just so that was my second one that he had walked all the way to Independence, Missouri, and he mm-hmm. gave them each a little shiny penny 
and a piece a of candy cup. and a tin cup because uh-huh. I had to share a little tin yes. cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Edwards, I'm telling you, he was a one-of-a-kind, apparently. She mm-hmm. made him sound like a saint. Other than, you know, the spitting and teaching Laura how to spit, he mm-hmm. definitely was a good guy. Yeah. He would have been a fun neighbor, I think. Okay, so which story did you think was the scariest? Okay, well, there were a lot. Like I said earlier, as an adult reading these, they faced death on a pretty regular basis. (laughs) They were always traumatized. (laughs) I mean, but I think it was the Indian War Cry chapter. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Indians, Paul did not realize, he thought when they built their little log cabin, he thought the path they built by was just an old path that nobody used anymore, but apparently it was one of the main paths that the local Indians used, Mm -hmm. and they were camped uh, not too far away from their little house on the prairie, (laughs) and um, they could hear them, Um, they could hear them at night doing these Indian war cries. And Laura even Mm -hmm. said, as a little girl, it was like a nightmare she couldn't wake up from. Mm -hmm. They couldn't sleep. Paul would be at the table. He'd go look out the window. He'd go outside. Mm -hmm. He could not rest. And he fell asleep at the table. He nodded off because he was exhausted. They knew something was going on. There was talk of an uprising that the Indians were upset with the white man, you know, for moving into their country. Mm -hmm. And anyway, uh, Paul gets angry with Caroline. Don't let me nod off like that again. And anyway, Mm -hmm. you could feel... He was making bullets and... Yeah, making bullets. You could feel the tension. And when she described those war cries, it Mm -hmm. just, it sends a tingle down your spine. It was very frightening. And it lasted for like a week. So they would hear it days on end. And so their nerves were just so... Just shot. Shot and Mm -hmm. frazzled. Yeah, so... I, I chose the same thing, the Indian War Cry. And, I mean, that chapter, in my mind, it was that was a masterpiece, the way she wrote that. Like mm-hmm. you said, you could feel the tension. You could see the fear in Carolyn's eyes. The girls didn't know what was going on. They were scared mm-hmm. to death. And Paul, you know, Paul's never scared of anything, and he's over there making bullets. Yeah. So, you know, there's something going and on. And also, just well, another thing that's scary is these Indians would just come in their home, especially when Paul was gone out hunting or doing whatever, and these Indians would just point to their food or tobacco or whatever, and Carolyn just had to give it to them. Yeah, she that, had no choice. She'd always give them food and tobacco. Yeah, and they didn't know if these Indians, uh, what you know, if, are they just there for food? Are they going to hurt us? And that had to be super frightening to not just Carolyn, but to all the three little mm-hmm. girls. No wonder she was scared every time Paul left the mm-hmm. house. But So, yeah, so we both picked the same Indian war cry. I also just... just would like to mention a scream in the night but mm-hmm. that's you know he he thought he heard uh, their neighbor's wife screaming which they live gosh a mile or two away mm-hmm. i thought it turns out it was a panther and we've had yeah. that same experience i don't know if yeah. you remember when we were teenagers there was a creek with a bridge that ran over it down it, it was a little way past our house and then we had a neighbor named jennifer and i'll never forget she called on the phone which back then was a landline and she said what are y'all doing? Are y'all are you and Angie both in the house? I said, yeah. She says, well, I could have swore I heard one of you guys screaming down at the creek. She oh. said it sounds just like a girl screaming. Oh wow! And we told I, our I dad. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, we told our dad, and he got his gun, and he went down there, and he didn't see anything. But he—that's what he said. It was probably a mountain lion or something because they sound like a girl screaming, uh-huh. and I didn't know that. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So the last question about the book: which stories? showed the hardships of pioneer life <laughs> well and uh um we were talking about the podcast before we started about said i can't answer that it's every single story in some way shows you the hardships whether it was 
they didn't have fresh water. They had to walk down to this creek and drink murky, warm water. And then when they go to dig a well, well, there's gas at the bottom. And the neighbor who's helping dig the well inhales these gases and passes out. And Paul has to risk his life to, to go down him. there and pull them out. So even just water was, you have talks about she has to go hunt it down, you know? Yeah. So I, I wrote crossing of the creek. You know, they could have mm-hmm. died on their way out, just right out to Kansas. Um, Indians in the house, the fever that they all endured, mm-hmm. the the wild animals, the prairie fire, they had almost yeah, completely destroyed Yeah, fire their house. was a constant threat. Wild mm-hmm. animals was a constant threat. Indians, mm-hmm. I mean, you name it. Okay, so now it is time for the reading of our favorite passages. All right. So I'm going to give you, you need the book. Okay. Read that. Okay. So I'm skipping around just a little bit so it won't be too long, but I really like this passage. It says, under the wet, now I guess this, I don't know if Jack has already returned here yet. What, but, which chapter is oh, this? Oh, it is from High Prairie. Okay. Under the wagon, Jack wearily turned around three times and lay down to sleep. I, I thought that was funny because I guess dogs never change in nature. Nope. Uh, they still turn around two or three times before they lay down to sleep. Aww. In the wagon, Laura and Mary said their prayers and crawled into their little bed. Ma kissed them goodnight. I'm skipping a paragraph here. but Thickly in front of the open wagon top hung the large glittering stars. Pa could reach them, Laura thought. She wished he would pick the largest one from the thread on which it hung from the sky and give it to her. She was wide awake. She was not sleepy at all, but suddenly she was very much surprised. The large star winked at her. (laughs) Then she was waking up next morning. How cool is that to think of falling asleep in your little wagon and you can see the stars? Well, obviously there's no street lights or electricity out there. Who knows what that night sky looked like to them out there? I think it would be amazing to be out and see what that night sky looked like to those little girls. Yeah, they say that we have so much, they call it some type of light pollution Mm -hmm. or something. So can you imagine having zero lights anywhere? Zero light pollution and seeing all those stars. It would be amazing. Oh, yeah. Okay, that that was a good passage. Okay, so I am going to read. I actually wanted to read the Indian War Cry, but okay. it was just too long. Too, yeah. It was too long. So I decided to read about the wolf pack. Now, I've already mentioned that the wolf pack tried to follow Paul home, and but the night they came back, and Laura wakes up to see all these wolves Oh, right, outside. and they're surrounding the house, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to read a little bit longer than you did. I always yeah. wondered if the lady who read Twilight, who wrote Twi- <laughs> Stephanie Meyer, yeah. you know, they talk about how huge these wolves are. Oh. <laughs> Maybe she got her idea for the wolves from this chapter. We'll have to ask oh, her next yeah, time we'll we see her. We'll have to find out, Stephanie. Okay. All right, so there in the moonlight sat half a circle of wolves. They sat on their haunches and looked at Laura in the window, and she looked at them. She had never seen such big wolves. The biggest one was taller than Laura. He was taller than even Mary. He sat in the middle, exactly opposite Laura. Everything about him was big. His pointed ears, his pointed mouth with the tongue hanging out, and his strong shoulders and legs, and his two paws side by side, and his tail curled around the squatting haunch. His coat was shaggy gray, and his eyes were glittering green. Laura clutched her toes into a crack of the wall, and she folded her arms on the window slab, and she looked and looked at that wolf. But she did not put her head through the empty window space into the outdoors, where all those wolves sat so near her, shifting their paws and licking their chops. Paul stood firm against her back and kept his arm tight around her middle. "'He's awful big,' Laura whispered. "'Yes, and see how his coat shines,' Paul whispered into her hair." The moonlight made little glitters in the edges of the shaggy fur all around the big wolf. They are in a ring clear around the house, Paul whispered. Laura pattered beside him to the other window. He leaned his gun against that wall and lifted her up again. 
There, sure enough, was the other half of the circle of wolves. All their eyes glittered green in the shadow of the house. Laura could hear their breathing. When they saw Paul and Laura looking out, the middle of the circle moved back a little way. Pet and Patty were squealing and running inside the barn. Their hooves pounded the ground and crashed against the walls. After a moment, Paul went back to the other window and Laura went too. They were just in time to see the big wolf lift his nose till it pointed straight at the sky. His mouth opened and a long howl rose toward the moon. Then all around the house, the circle of wolves pointed their noses toward the sky and answered him. Their howls shuddered through the house and filled the moonlight and quavered away across the vast silence of the prairie. Oh, that's so descriptive. Yeah, so pretty. Can you not just see that? See mm-hmm. them in the moonlight and these big wolves just out there howling outside mm-hmm. their house? Such a pretty passage. Okay, so we are, we've come to the point where we're going to rate the book. And I had asked you to guess what my rating word was going to be. Did you have a chance to think um, of anything? Yes. Um, okay, so I have a couple of guesses. Half okay. pint. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one was, um, she kept wanting to see a Indian papoose. Oh, that's right, yeah. So I thought maybe papoose. Okay, well, your first guess was right. So, oh, yay! Yeah. So, uh, Joy, how many, and actually, I, I actually have decided on half pints of cider. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell her, yeah, little, little half pint of cider, half drunk up. Right? Yeah. Okay, so how many half pints of cider do you give this book? Okay, well, I have to give it a five, oh, and okay. I'm giving the whole series a five because... Mm-hmm. They're just awesome. You learn so much about our country and what uh, life was like for the pioneers. And, man, they're just special to me. These are definitely, I, I have never read a Laura Ingalls book that I would not give a five. Okay. All right. Oh, Gosh, no. I feel like such a heel. I gave it a four. Oh, and it's because okay. those words keep coming back to me that you're like, it has to be life-changing. Well, this to five. me is kind of life-changing. Yeah. It's now, as far know. as the it's importance in yeah. literature mm-hmm. and just it, preserving that time period and the authenticity, yeah, I would give it a five all day long. So, okay, well, let's move on to the trivia. And I'm kind of excited about the trivia. Because, hey, we made it almost through our know. whole podcast. We almost got through the whole podcast. And yeah. Cambry, Angie's daughter, is over there giving them treats to make them be quiet. Hey, it's Good working. job. It's working. it's working. Thank you, Cambry. Okay, so this is the this is <laughs> going to be fun today. I came up with some really good trivia. Awesome. And we're going to see how how much you know about Little House. Now, this isn't all just about this book. Some of it's about oh. the series, and some of it's about Laura. Okay. Okay. All right, Joy. Now, this first one's kind of tricky, but you 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 actually mentioned to me before the podcast unwittingly okay. that you had read these books two and three times each so you yes. should be able okay. to do this so, well you gotta keep in mind the first time we read them i would say we were like 12 and 13 years this old is true. the mm-hmm. second time i read them i'm gonna guess i was probably in my 20s and then last summer i don't know what got into me i think it's because my daughter olivia uh-huh. i want her to read these and i started reading farmer boy to her and she liked it, but she can only handle a little bit at a time. Yeah. You know, it's, they're pretty detailed. How, she's eight. She's seven. Oh, seven. About I'm sorry. To be, she's almost I eight. How she is. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know what got into me, but once I read Farmer Boy, I was like, I'm reading all of these. And I read I, every single one of them last summer. You made a comment to me earlier that, that makes me think this question is going to stump you. I, oh, great. Okay, so the first question in my trivia is Joy. Can you list the eight books, and if possible, in order? <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I'm going to do my best, though. Okay. Little House in the Big Woods. Correct. Little House on the Prairie. No. 
give me a. Do hit. you want me to tell you if you mess up and yes, you go back and start all over? Sir, yes. Okay. Okay. The reason earlier you said something about you read this book and then all the way to the last book, yes, made me making me think that you thought this book was the last book when it's really the second oh, book of the series. Oh no! So okay. Little House in the Big Woods is the first. Okay, book. and I know the first four years technically is the last yeah. one, or these happy golden years, and then the first. Go ahead, just say them in the order you think. Okay, okay. Little House. I'm sorry, Little oh. House in the Big Woods. Now this is where I'm stumped before Little House on the Prairie. On the banks of Plum Creek. Okay. By the shores of Silver Lake. Mm-hmm. These happy golden years. I know I'm missing some here. You're doing okay. Uh, yeah, these happy golden years. The first four years. Okay, so you yeah. just missed two. Okay, That's I know I'm bad. missing a couple. Okay, so it's Little House in the Big Woods. Okay. And then Farmer Boy. Oh, I forgot she did Almanzo's yeah. story. That kind of threw me too because I thought, yeah, why cause does she like, do... Yeah, because I was like, where does that... Maybe because that was the same time period. That's all you I can what? think I, of. I'm thinking she was thinking, okay, I wrote a story about my earliest yeah. days and now I want to write a story about him yes, and his I forgot days. about... And I just talked about Farmer yeah. Boy, uh, but you're right. That, that's number two. Farmer Boy's number okay. two. And so, then Little House on the Prairie. Then on the banks, banks of, of Plum, Plum Creek. Creek. By the shores of Silver Lake. Then The Long Winter. The, oh, The Long Winter. I forgot and about that. And then Little Town on little the Prairie. Little Town on the Prairie. And then these happy golden years. And then the first four years. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you're, you're very, very close. Okay. Very close. Okay. So true or false? Laura completed a one-volume novel of her life called Pioneer Girl that has never been published. I have no idea. It's true. It is true. It is true. Um, so the edited manuscript has lain unpublished for 60 years. And one factor that seems to keep it from being published is that it's very straightforward and factual. <laughs> okay. So I think that um, it's at, it, somewhere I read Mrs. Wilder's, they always call her Mrs. Wilder. So where can we read this? It's not available That's, to the public? See, I don't think so. And oh. so, and one thing I read it, I wrote down, it says Mrs. Wilder's fans realize that there are liberties in the stories. However, Pioneer Girl would go a long way toward telling them as, as how much and where. Is that not fantasy, but there's just a maybe. following of these books. Yes, and they so have maybe a certain the reality image. Yes. would crush people like, oh, that's what it was really like. Yes. I feel like there's a certain image and expectation of the books. Right. And then when people see what actually happened and didn't happen, it kind of kind of just yeah, put a damper. It puts a damper on your It's kind of like, uh, this is the analogy I would give. Like, mm-hmm. if you love the book To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. and then you go back and read the book. She wrote another book. Uh, a, I don't remember if it was a follow-up or before it, and mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it now, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry. It, oh, I'm sorry. It was a follow-up to it, and mm-hmm. it just makes – it changes your, your idea. Perspective your perspective on the characters? Yes, it or, changes your oh. ideas on Atticus and oh. Jim, and I'm not going to get into it, but it's very disappointing. Okay. Or I was super disappointed by it, and I wish I had not read it. And maybe uh. that's how this is. Maybe they feel like – when people read it, they'll be like, oh, I kind of wish I hadn't read that. It gives me a whole nother idea of the original books. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like fiction is better than reality. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Okay. At what age did Laura begin writing the Little House series? I want to say she was in her 60s. Okay. I was going to give you multiple choice. Oh. If you, okay. you want to guess without it. I was thinking she was a lot older, like mm-hmm. in her 60s. So... 40s? Yeah. So was she 45, 55, or 65? Oh, gosh. 60? No, that wouldn't have given her much time. 65? <laughs> I'm giving look. Joy the eyes. The no, people can't see, but I, I, I was giving her the eyes. I want to say she's in her 60, like, so I'll guess yeah. 65. Yeah, she was wow. She was 65 years old when wow. she started writing these books. Okay. And it's funny, you know, we're almost 50, and I keep thinking, I'm never going to write 
wrote a book. Right. My Lord, she was 65. That gives us hope. So she began writing at the age of 65 at the urging of her daughter. So originally the idea was, I think it was kind of, okay, Mom, we want to preserve some of these family stories before they for, before mm-hmm. they're forgotten. And then she and her her daughter Rose was already a famous writer, which most people right. may not know that. But um, anyway, she said, "No, I'm going to write this down." And she so she wrote some of these stories down, and she sent them to Rose and said, "You publish them." Right. And then Rose sent them to her publisher, and he said, "Oh no, no, these are pretty good. We need to. Your mom needs to finish writing these, and then we'll publish right. them under her." And name. one thing that's very bothersome to me, mm-hmm. and I don't want to believe it. Yeah, I've read a lot of stuff that says. Rose edited the stories so much mm-hmm. and that she and Laura would argue mm-hmm. over different aspects of the stories in the books but they said overall Rose was the one that kind of had the last word and it's more of her influence that Laura's and mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know if I want to read that or not. Whole, I read a lot about Laura and Rose's relationship it was very strained and she did rely heavily on Rose's expertise you gotta realize rose was already in the field yeah. as a journalist and a writer and i think she, yeah and she knew she all relied the on her these publishers help. and these editors yes, she did rely on her for a lot of the editing and if it weren't for rose these books probably never yes. would have been published yeah but i feel like the meat and the heart of it was from laura i hope so and the reason i say that is because rose actually wrote a book called something that something about the hurricane flies or something oh, right. and it was a story about uh paul and ma or caroline and charles ingles mm-hmm. and laura they said was not happy because she didn't tell her that she was writing this book till after it was published okay and they but i one person i read this is just so you'll know this is they said you know I, I read this book that rose read versus this book that laura mm-hmm. wrote i'm sorry i said that wrong anyway they said when you read their book side by side they said it was like laura's had more heart and feeling in it and they said it was just they said you lived the story where roses just felt more like words okay so so maybe their style was so different they could distinguish that that wasn't rose that wrote the books well i just i don't know i don't know but that's like i say there's a lot to that and i didn't really have time to get into it so let's go to the next question um true or false garth williams illustrations took 10 years to complete oh wow hmm true that is true wow that's a long time that floored me when i heard that i just could not believe that okay number five does paul's fiddle still exist and if so where is it well i know this one because (laughs) we went to the laura ingalls wilder museum in mansfield missouri and they have paul's fiddle behind a glass case and honestly (sighs) your memory i I wish I had half the memory you. You had. don't remember going no, there and seeing I, I that. I remember going there, but I don't remember seeing Paul's well, fiddle. Well, that's I had a moment. You were talking about having a moment in one mm-hmm. of our past podcasts. I can't remember what we're talking about, mm-hmm. but I had a moment because I remember thinking, "Wow, this is the fiddle. This is mm-hmm. the what he actually touched it and played it, and and that hit to me that fiddle and the music." got them through a lot of hard times a lot of hard times that that music would uplift their spirits and get them like i think of the long hard winter Mm -hmm. when he would play the fiddle it just helped lift their spirits i can't even think about paul without thinking of the fiddle it was was like an extension yeah it's like an extension of him but yes it's it's there at that museum it's really cool that it's made it uh and that it's still there and it still exists i would be curious to know how she ended up with it because you know he had three daughters that's true so, how did four, she end up so, with it yeah well and was that um museum did that begin when she was still alive no matter of fact they talked about how she was such a reserved like unassuming person they said that if they had ever tried to do this while she was alive she probably would have resisted oh okay so they did it after she so maybe one of the daughters 
uh, maybe she didn't have it originally. Yeah. Maybe so. Some, Rose uh, maybe, is the person. Well, another lady actually started the museum, but of course Rose was a big part of establishing right. it and, and getting items for it and preserving. I'm just saying, even if one of the sisters had it, I'm sure once they had the museum built, they gladly yes. contributed it or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, so number six. The Ingalls family were the first settlers and helped establish what town in South Dakota? Uh, Dismet. Very good. Okay, so number seven. Can you quote at least one <laughs> of Paul's many sayings? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, there's never some great loss without some small gain. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Um, okay. Well, oh, I can't remember, but it basically meant even though something horrible happened, everything's okay. I can't think All of it. well that ends well. I, okay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That's just too easy to read. All's well that ends well. <laughs> That's what I meant to yeah, say. Yeah, that's just funny that I, I have written all's well that ends well, and you said it in a completely different way, but it was really yeah, funny how you said it. the long, drawn out, No, I thought that's horrible funny way. how you did that. <laughs> okay, number eight. What did Laura like to serve to unexpected guests at Rocky Ridge Farm? Was it A, canned pickles? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying not to laugh. Was it, <laughs> was it canned pickles? Or was it graham crackers filled with a powdered sugar frosting filling or prairie hen? <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with the pickles. Okay. No, it was graham crackers filled with a powdered sugar frosting. So oh. That's, uh, every time they would uh, like like a s'mores interview somebody that would talk to me, so yeah, every time I went over, she would give me graham crackers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What was Laura's nickname for Almanzo? Manly. Okay. And just as a bonus, what was... What did he call her? Bess. I think he did call her. I believe he Beth. called her Bess. So. Yeah. In, in the series, it sounds like he's saying Beth, like T H. Oh. But I think you're right. I'm not I sure. No. Okay. So the last question in the book, Little House on the Prairie. By what river did they build their house? Oh, the Verdigree. Yeah. Very okay. good. You did really well on that. Yay. So how much time have we are we at? We're at forty one forty two minutes. Oh, okay. Well I'm I'm gonna go ahead and close up then. Um I do wanna mention that in preparing uh for this book, I read the book I Remember Laura by Stephen W. Hines. It was written in nineteen ninety four. And just uh just you might be interested in this joy. Inside the cover, it said, To Mom from Joy, Happy Birthday, July 1st, 1996. Do you remember See, buying I her remember that? getting her the book. I, matter of fact, I think I was like at a Barnes & Noble or a Books mm-hmm. A Million. Well, I don't remember which one. Mm-hmm. And they had it on a display. And I was like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. A Laura Ingalls Wilder book mm-hmm. I've never read. And I, I was know. intrigued immediately. And I got it for her. And of course, right off the bat, I borrowed it from her and read it. All right, well, I hate to say this, but I don't re- recommend the book. Okay, yeah, why okay. not? Okay, if you want to keep your happy, golden, rose-colored oh. memories of her childhood, don't read it. It just it makes her adult life sound really sad. Yes. that's what the book's about. It's about her adult life. I will life. say, yeah, this I remember, Laura. It It's very factual. Mm-hmm. It really goes into the hardships. It's, it's not sugar-coated. Well, and they didn't and have much kinda, information about her. The whole yeah. book, they just keep talking about how we couldn't find much information about her. Right. And I was thinking, well, why would you write the book? Right, <laughs> but, right. But anyway, it's just you But the you stories they do it, tell are just yeah. kind of sad. Yeah, they make her, and she did have a tough life, but they really show how tough her adult life was. Well, the thing I kept getting over and over from the book was Almanzo. He was portrayed by his neighbors as, as kind of this grumpy old man. He, mm-hmm. he had a club foot no one really seemed to know really hurt either of them very well laura or almanzo right. those kept and to themselves people just lot. said they were kind of aloof they said they were friendly mm-hmm. like she was always very friendly but they just kind of kept to themselves 
And in the book, this was sad to me. In the book, it said that toward the end of her years, or toward the end of her life, children would write her letters, and they would say, why don't you write more books? And then she would respond, I don't want to, because I would have to bring in the sad things of life. Aww. So, yeah. And just a FYI, for some reason, people in Japan love her books. Really? And they said she got so many letters from Japanese school children. I they didn't just, remember that. Well, that's what okay. they said. Wow. So, anyway, like I said, I hate Laura to end it Ingalls on Laura and Mickey Mouse. Exactly. I know I was thinking the same thing I was thinking Disney World and Laura Ingalls so but anyway I, it was just sad because I kept thinking she was so far away from her family they were in South Dakota she's in Missouri she had a strained relationship with her daughter Rose mm-hmm. she did not like being famous and she they said she was real nervous in big crowds and then mm-hmm. of course, crowds I'm sorry and then of course she had lost an infant son yes um, so that's really sad and then Almonzo had had a stroke and he had trouble he had real bad arthritis, and he struggled from an early age just doing yeah, basic they, everyday chores. Yeah. So. Oh, I didn't know that. And they kept mentioning he had a club foot, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure what a club foot I is. I think he but. had some sort of a stroke, oh. and well, I'd have to go back and reread, yeah. but something happened to him that made it where it was really hard for him to harness, you know, to saddle up his horses and plow oh. and just do basic stuff that he loved to do. Okay. Like even getting dressed in the morning, she said he was like an old man, even oh. when he was young. He was just very arthritic, I think. Well, no wonder he was grouchy. He was yeah. I was gonna say if they if he and... if they thought he was a grumpy old man, it's probably because yeah. he was in a lot of pain okay. a lot of the time. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and close. I didn't want to. I really did not want to end this on a somber note, but that's mm-hmm. just kind of how it turned out. But you know, overall. Um, loved. I was really ex- happy that I got to read this book again. And, of course, now it makes me want to go back and read the rest. And right. Just... One last thing I want to mention is um, one of my bucket list things to do oh, is to... I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you already know what I'm going to say. You want to go start out in Wisconsin. And follow her trail mm-hmm. all the way back to Mansfield, Missouri. You know, I just Mom think that would be an epic journey. When I opened the book, I remember mm-hmm. Laura, she had an article torn out from a magazine. Mm-hmm. And it was an article about all the historical places you can visit that, mm-hmm. that honor her. Yes. So, yes, I would love so to do that Of course, someday. none of the structures still exist, well, except for the house in Mansfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. But like Plum Creek, you can go see Plum Creek. You, mm-hmm. They have a um, replica of the dugout, the, uh, the little dugout. Mm-hmm. house they lived in and I don't know I just think it'd be cool to kind of retrace all yes. her steps and just one summer when we have time well, it's funny because in uh near independence where the in the little house on the prairie when they built that house they said visitors kept coming saying we want to see the house and they were said they were embarrassed because they didn't know where it was right and so they had some experts go find some old which he never really had Independence, a land. Missouri? Well, it's when they lived on the Kansas in the book here, on, oh. the, on the plains, okay. near Independence. Oh, right. You know, right. I guess they were 20 miles from there right. or so. But anyway, they said they found some experts who went out and looked at the land, but because there were no landage, remember, he didn't right. really have an official legal they just claim. Had that, right. So, and the only thing to go by is that we know they were by yeah. that creek. Right. So they kind of followed, they, they kind of used the landmarks in the book, and then they found a well that was, a well mm-hmm. that had been hand up. Mm-hmm. And they said they're they're almost uh, for sh- for sure that this is where they lived, and so they've built mm-hmm. a replica there. Oh, that's yeah. amazing yeah. that they actually found that they, well. They found a well, and they said the well to them was what proved that that was the right, right spot. So. Right. Okay. okay. Well, anything else you want to say? I'm gonna no. I'm gonna close this and get us out of here with uh, another little tune people might recognize, and that'll close us out. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is Angie, and this is Joy. See you next time on Twin, Twin Talk. Talk.